0: Erwin Lutzer said, unbelievers disbelieve it, most Christians ignore it, hell seems to be out of step with the times. I want to talk to you this morning on the reality of hell out of Luke chapter 16, and most of what we're going to look at came from the lips of Jesus, who was God incarnate, love incarnate, grace incarnate, Forgiveness incarnate, and yet he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Many people say that hell is not a literal place, so let's look at some of the arguments about that. First one is, some people have a difficult time reconciling the judgment of God and the love of God. How can a God of love also be a God that judges now, the Scripture and the Son of God don't have any disagreement on this point. The Father and the Son don't have any disagreement that there is the judgment of God and also the love of God. The problem is we, we don't think the punishment fits the crime. We kind of feel like it, it sounds like the death penalty for a parking ticket, that uh, somehow good people shouldn't end up in hell. And so, we, we, we start to rationalize, and as Charles Lowry says, they're rational lies. We start to rationalize and say, but they're so good. That is never the question of Scripture. The question of Scripture is, what did they do with Jesus Christ? Do they know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Not if they're good, but do they have a relationship with God? Spurgeon said, it will be hell to a man to have his own voluntary choice confirmed and made unchangeable. You see, God is a just God. And in any system of justice, there are two factors. There's there's reward and then there's punishment. And if you eliminate reward and punishment, there is no system of justice. We are a nation, supposedly, of laws and there are consequences of breaking those laws. If there were no laws, then everybody does what's right in their own eyes and nothing is wrong and there's no need for prison, jail, or sentences or anything else. Psalm 9 verse 16 says, The Lord has made himself known He has executed judgment in the work of his own hands. The wicked is snared. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. So, one of the problems with people about a literal hell is that they can't reconcile the judgment of God and the love of God. Another problem is false teaching. Is false teaching. Uh, Whether it's Buddhism or Hindu or whatever ism, that you want to name, or Mormons, or Muslims, or whatever. It's a denial of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, emphatic, emphatic, definite article. I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. Now, two of the lies that come out of false religion and you know a survey said just this week there is no majority religion in America today. You know why? Because the church isn't sharing the gospel. The reason that Christians are becoming persecuted in America and a minority is because churches sit in holy huddles and care nothing about a lost world and they're dying. Churches in America are dying And if we don't get busy about the gospel, one day we will find ourselves in a situation or our children or our grandchildren in a situation we never thought we would be in or they would be in. Now, there are two lies. One is universalism. Universalism is that everybody's going to be saved in the end. Uh, There's a famous commentator, uh, and, and I love to read his historical stuff, his theology of salvation is not good. William Barclay, you can read him for the historical aspects. Don't read him for his salvation theology because he believes everybody's going to be saved in the end. Well, that would mean that Jesus didn't need to even die. If we're all just going to end up in heaven anyway, then why the cross? Why the resurrection? Why the gospel? Why the suffering? Why the Great Commission? If it's all going to work out in the wash, what difference does it make? By the way, the extremes of universalism say that even the devil is going to get saved in the end. He had his chance. The Old Testament tells us that he fell from heaven because he rebelled against God. He had his chance. The devil's not going to get saved in the end. The devil's not waiting for the last verse of an invitation in a crusade to say, you know, I've caused a lot of pain in this world, but I think now's the time to change. He's not going to do that. You see, if the teaching of Jesus is true, then in Revelation 20 and verse 10, when he says the beast and the false prophet would be tormented day and night forever and ever, then he's lying. And if Jesus is lying, he can't save us. It also means that he was lying when he said there's an unpardonable sin that keeps us from having a relationship with Christ. Now, universalism... Annihilation. Annihilation is another lie of false teaching. While the righteous will live forever, the wicked will be burned up and they'll just cease to exist. They're just not there anymore. Uh, Annihilation is a lie because it says that the fire will consume them. Neither one of these views, universalism or annihilation, can be substantiated or supported or sustained by reading the Bible. The Bible would refute that view completely. Both are theological shortcuts. I have heard Christians say, well, you know, they're only in hell for a little while. That's a Christian that hasn't read their Bible. Well, you know, they don't suffer long, and then they just kind of, and then they're gone. No, we were in existence before we were born, since we are born, and we have an eternity after we die. The word destroyed in the Gospels does not mean annihilate or pass out of existence. The word destroy in the Gospel means to be delivered up to eternal misery. In other words, it never stops. It never stops. Now, the Bible pictures hell as a literal place, not a theory, not a fairy tale, not something from Milton's Paradise Lost or anything else. It's a real place. Let me give you the names of hell in the New Testament. First of all, it's called the Lake of Fire. The Lake of Fire. Revelation 20 and verse 14. It is called Sheol or the grave. Sheol or the grave. It is called Hades. Luke chapter 16, which we're going to look at in just a moment. The rich man went to Hades at death and was tormented in the flames. It is called Gehenna 12 times in the New Testament, and 11 of those 12 times it is used by Jesus himself. The valley of Hinnom or Gehenna sits below Jerusalem. If you were to go to Jerusalem, you would see the high point of the mount where the temple sat and down through a valley up to the Mount of Olives and in that valley, that is the Valley of Gehenna, at the time of Christ it was a place of filth, it was a place of death, of fire, of smoke, and of stench. So when Jesus was in Jerusalem and he would talk of Gehenna, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Death, fire, smoke, and stench. He used it as a visual that they would not forget that hell is a real place. It's also called the second death. Hell is called the second death. Revelation 20, 14 and 21, 8, it speaks of separation, not cessation of existence. It's the second death. All of us die one time, but those without Christ die a second death according to the scriptures. And so we die once, but then for the believer, To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. But for the unbeliever, it is eternity in a place called hell. Number six is a place of eternal retribution and punishment. Eternal retribution and punishment. It is duration without end. Matthew 25 and verse 46, all these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, what about the environment of hell? Well, the New Testament says more about hell than it says about heaven. Let me just give you some references. Matthew eight twelve, it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke sixteen twenty three through 31, it's a place where people cry for mercy. Nine, uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 48, it's a place of unquenchable fire. Revelation 9, 2, it's a place of darkness. Mark 3 and verse 29, it's a place of no escape and no pardon. Revelation 14.10, it's a place where God's wrath is poured out. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it's a place of everlasting destruction. Now you see in your notes who's there. Satan will be there, the Antichrist will be there, the false prophet, demons, Judas, and unsaved sinners. So look at Luke chapter 16, verse 19, a very familiar story. I will note it is not a parable. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus tells this story as a fact, and he names a person in particular, Lazarus, and a rich man, which he does not name, but those he would have been talking to would have known this situation, and both had died. So now he's telling a factual story about what has happened after they died. Luke 16, verse 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with swords, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us and he said then I beg you father that you send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment but Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them but he said no father Abraham But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. So what is it? It's a place of torment. It's a place of torment. This rich man desired water, just the tip of a finger into water to touch his tongue and can I tell you something he still has the same desire 2,000 years later nothing has quenched his thirst nothing has satisfied the agony of his life the word torment is used four times in this passage and is a term of definite pain it is a term, same term that is used of the judgment of God on an unrepentant world in Revelation 9, 11, and Revelation 20. Whatever torment hell is, we can't even begin to imagine it. Some of us have gone through painful situations. None of us can imagine the torment of hell. Jesus is trying to paint a picture. The Scripture is trying to paint a picture for us to tell us what hell is going to be like. It's a place of separation. It's a place of separation. There's this great chasm, this gulf, this ravine that cannot be crossed or bridged. Now there's a general belief. I don't know that there's a scriptural basis for it because there's not a verse that says this. Outside of it, it is implied in this story there's a general belief that part of the suffering in hell is knowing you have a friend or relative in heaven that shared the gospel with you. That you heard the gospel and you rejected it. Today in hell, there are husbands whose wives tried to tell them they needed Jesus and they rejected the witness of their wife or wives that rejected the witness of their of their husband or parents that rejected the witness of their children or children that rejected the witness of their parents or work associates that rejected the witness of those that they worked with and hell is full of people who heard the gospel and said not interested, not for me. But you just saw a video of an atheist who said How much would you have to hate someone to not proselyte them if you really believe what that Bible says? You see, we're more worried about somebody's feelings getting hurt or them saying something ugly to us than we worry about the fact that this is a place of torment and separation. Now, if believers do witness this, you know, he's having this conversation with Father Abraham, And if believers do witness this, then there is an understanding of believers in the presence of God that God is just in his sending people to hell because they reject his son. Listen, in fact, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go to hell when we reject his son. God doesn't say, you're going to go to hell no matter what, and you're going to go to heaven no matter what. No, there's a gospel that is given and a choice to be made. It's a place of consciousness. He he wanted Abraham to return and, and tell his five brothers. The man is not looking for company in hell. Re- remember, the verse says he gaily lived. I mean, this guy could throw a party. This was a Jewish man who went to the synagogue, who heard the prophets, who heard the law, which all pointed to a coming Messiah, and he said, well, send them... Uh, they're not even going to believe even if somebody rises from the dead. I, I've had lost people say to me, "Well, you know, I'm going to go to hell, but at least I'm going to have friends there. You'll never see them. You're alone. It doesn't say that this rich man turned to all his friends and said, "Let's just get a, some momentum going here to wear Father Abraham down." There are no friendships in hell. It is isolation, it is torment, it is separation, and it is a place of loneliness. It is not a New Year's Eve party. And that's where the people that you know and the people that I know will spend eternity without Christ. It's an eternal place. It's an eternal place. The rich man is still there. And he's going to be there a trillion, trillion, billion, trillion years from now, he will still be there. While we are, who know Christ are in heaven, the lost who rejected Christ will be in hell for all eternity. He has been thirsty and crying out for 2,000 years. And it's not even begun to start. Look, at, look in your notes right under eternal place. If you want to know how long eternity is, get the image of a bird moving one grain of sand from the earth and flying with it to the moon, then returning and taking another grain of sand, and after all the sand has been removed, eternity wouldn't even be started. That's where people we know are going to spend eternity. It's a place of doing nothing. You get there by doing nothing. Just don't respond to Jesus. Don't accept the free offer of grace. Don't accept God's forgiveness. Don't recognize that you're a sinner and you need to repent and turn from your sins and give your heart to Jesus Christ. His five brothers had to hear the word and respond by faith. They had to see that Jesus was the Messiah. We don't know what happened to those five, but we know that in hell... This rich man was broken hearted that his brothers were going to join him. And anyone that refuses to repent and give their heart to Jesus Christ will end up in hell. Here's another thing I've had folks say to me. Well, you know, I'm going to hold out and I'm going to make a deathbed confession. No, you won't. Because most people on their deathbed are so medicated, they can't make a confession. They're so sedated, they can't make a confession. Whatever you and I do with Jesus, we got to do it now. In this life, while we have breath and while we have choice, to choose Jesus and to choose to walk away from our sin. And so our schoolmates, our work associates, our neighbors, our relatives, our family, are going to spend eternity in one place or another, in heaven or in hell. C.S. Lewis said it this way. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Choose it. So let me ask you, Has your heart been broken today about your parent, your spouse, your children, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, your next-door neighbor, the people in your neighborhood, the people that you're gonna go to work with tomorrow, the people that you go to school with? Is there anything right now that breaks your heart to say, I will do everything possible to tell them the good news of Jesus. What they do with it is their responsibility. But it is our responsibility to tell them the good news. I wanna ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you today to make a public confession of your faith in Jesus Christ. To acknowledge, I'm a sinner, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, you could make that acknowledgement, that confession of faith in Jesus Christ and find one of these men at the front and say, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. I need to give my life. I need to change the direction of my life. The word is to repent, to turn around, to go in a different direction. And today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time is what the scriptures say. Today is the day. Not tomorrow the devil will tell you to wait. But today's the day of salvation. Who needs to step out and to come right now and to give your heart to Jesus, to change the spiritual trajectory of your life to pass from death into life to find peace and hope in Jesus Christ who today needs to come and give their life to Jesus you step out and you come they're going to sing we're not going to sing long but what can happen in this moment can change your life for some of you that are Christians you need to pray right now That God gives you an opportunity soon, not later, soon, maybe even today, to share the gospel with somebody that needs to know Jesus. They're singing, you step out and come.